you have your Bibles, turn to, uh, to John chapter 10 and uh, join me as we pray. Father God, we, we thank you for this morning, the, uh, the privilege it is to meet together, to open up your word, um, and God, that you would just speak clearly through me and that we would leave changed. God, my prayer is that uh, Christmas, as we celebrate and as we discuss it and, and study your word and kind of dig into it, God, that it would certainly mean more. Um, uh, after we leave these doors than, than what it might have been had we not met together this morning. So that's my prayer. That, uh, use me to do that. Thank you for the power of your word um, and uh, just what you've already done this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Um, we, uh, we've done plenty of Christmas parties, so I'm curious up to this point, because usually they're, they're done by now, who's, who's been to a Christmas party, maybe with your home group, your work, some friends, school, you guys tonight. Um, uh, a, a classic is either the tacky Christmas sweater or, or and or the white elephant gift exchange, right? Um, this also extends, this principle that I'm about to, to discuss extends to Sunday morning as well. Uh, and that is uh, something we learn along the way around seven or eight years old. And my eight-year-old son is right there. And so, Graham, just listen up. You're about to learn this. Is, is that small packages pack a large punch, right? Like, that's something that we learn along the way. Um, before then, we don't quite get it, right? And, and we, uh, the toys are bigger when we're younger, and our value system certainly changes as, as we grow older. But when we're young, okay, we're, we're given, uh, and certainly big presents pack a very obvious big punch. But as we get older, and we value things like jewelry, right? As technology gets smaller, and it's like this little bitty box about this big, and it's like, if we're six or seven, we don't run to that small little box, but when we're 12, 15, it's a new iPod or a new iPhone. As technology gets smaller, we value jewelry, uh, gift cards, right? Like as you get older, your parents get worse at buying you presents. Uh, and if you're a parent, you've, you've seen this, and so what do you do? You give them gift cards or cash, right? It's in an envelope. It does not get much smaller than that. Uh, and as you get older, you learn this principle that a small package packs a very powerful punch. I can't uh, tell you how many times you've been at a white elephant gift exchange, right? And the, uh, the small little Bluetooth speaker uh, gets fought over and it gets frozen very quickly, okay? Uh, but but what, what do people kind of just hold in their lap waiting for someone to take? It's like the big fuzzy Rudolph steering wheel cover. It's like it came in this big box like this, tons of paper, and they're like, I'm going for the big one, right? And they pull it out and they're like, is this even legal? Like, I'm going to get pulled over if I put this on my car. And and it was big, and the, the little Bluetooth, and that's kind of the impressive thing about technology in particular, is the more power that, that it has, uh, that's impressive, but it's only as impressive as, as how small of a package they can put it in, right? And so you see these small little Bose uh, speakers that could fill this room. Um, and, and again, we, we learn that small package packs are really powerful uh, punch. And, and here's, here's the thing, as we get older, we learn that, um, but I think at Christmas time, a lot of us forget this principle when it comes to Jesus. I think, I think that I run the risk every year if I'm not careful, uh, and, and maybe some of you in the room, maybe you've never quite stumbled upon this, that in small packages pack a massive punch. Um, and when it comes to Jesus, I think we do run the risk of uh, seeing his humility and seeing his smallness, we'll call it, um, and forgetting the power or the punch uh, that, that's wrapped up inside of it. Because again, it's only as impressive, the power is only as impressive as, as how small of a package they can put it in. Um, and I think in Christ, we see a, a really cool picture of that. 
so my goal this morning as we look at uh, John chapter 10 and elsewhere is that, is that a manger scene would look very different from now until, you know, at least December 29th or January, February, whoever your neighbors are that leave their stuff up to like February. As long as we see mangers this Christmas season, my, my prayer is, uh, and this is something that, that, that's kind of been uh, challenging and encouraging to me as I've studied this, is that we would look at mangers differently. Uh, we would look at baby Jesus and we wouldn't just say, aw, that's cute. Right? That's what a seven or an eight-year-old looks at a small little package. And before they know what's in it or value what's in it, they look at it and they go, that's cute, but give me this massive thing that looks like a massive Nerf gun, right? It's like we might look at a manger and be like, oh, the baby Jesus, like his, his humility. And, and sure, he, like, he would die for, for me and lay down his life for me. Isn't that precious? Isn't that loving? Um, and miss the power uh, that's, that's wrapped up inside that cloth uh, so would we look at a manger, we wouldn't just say awe as in cute, but we would be in awe of him. And I, so I think a way to do that is this. Uh, it's actually been mentioned. We, we light Advent candles. Uh, a drama points to the hope that we have in Christ's first return and what, he, what that promises us as believers. But to take it a step farther, and I think to do this right, we, we look at his first coming, the first advent of Christ in light of his second coming. Um, so to do that, if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 10. There's two, I think, very untypical Christmas verses. Um, you've been in church, if you've been in church for a while, if you ever preach, you understand Christmas comes every single year, and you pretty much have the same story to tell. It's like, what in the world, what, what passage do you preach from? So I literally just like did this and just thumbed through and fell on John 10. I was like, I'm going to make this fit Christmas. Just kidding. I didn't do that. But this is a very kind of untypical passage that I do think unpacks the power uh, and highlights the smallness and the humility of Christ. And I think together, which these might be sermons you might hear differently. You might hear about the power and the majesty of God and his second coming and, and what he's going to do and the hope that we have in truly being saved. We have faith in our future salvation when he comes back, right? And you may hear a sermon about the humility of Christ and how I mean, we, we, should, we should lay our lives down for our brother and, 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 and die to ourselves for our friends and take the example from Christ. And I think to push these two together, John 10 does this, and I think it makes us look at a manger and say, like, Christ is awesome, not just look how cute he is and how loving he is. So let's do this. John 10, verse 17 and 18 says, The reason my Father loves me, of course this is Jesus talking, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up again. This command I've received from my Father. So if you look at that first part, what does he say? He's saying two things. I lay my life down, and then just to fast forward, and we'll camp out there in a minute, he says, I take my life up. And what's really interesting is, is what's in between there. And there's this phrase that says, uh, only two take it up. So in just a minute, we're going to understand more how his first coming has everything to do with his second coming. And to look at them separately, I think we, we, we run the risk of missing Christ. We miss Christmas if we don't look at, at them together. So this is the part that we know. This is the Lamb of God part. This is the laying down my life that, that we know well, right? This is the baby Jesus. This is the manger. We, we've read stories. Uh, most of the Gospels have different accounts and put together. Like, we know all the nooks and crannies of, of, of the Magi and, 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 and all the census stuff that drove Mary and Joseph and, and how he was born in a manger, right? Which is like Latin for chew. And like, it's where animals ate. And 
He was born in a place that he didn't deserve because remember, he was, he was the king of the Jews and he was, he was pro- many prophecies about Christ and how he would come first as a king and he would rescue his people. And so we see Christ, the laying down my life part, this is the part we know well, and we see in his birth, his life and his death. It, it is birth, uh, this, here's a Christmas, a typical Christmas passage for us to make you feel comfortable since you came to church during Christmas. Maybe you expect a little bit of Luke 2. Uh, verse 7 and 8 says, She gave birth to her first son, uh, firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You think God, the creator of the universe, would ordain a situation where there'd be at least one room available, right? Uh, but no room, did not get what he deserved. Verse 8 says, uh, And there they were, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. So all of a sudden, he's got the company of animals, and the, the supplies that animals use, and he's got company of lowly shepherds. And so we see Christ being humble, acting in humility, laid, laying down his life at his birth. We see this in his life, and, and this is like toward the end of his life, and you could argue it's at the culmination of his life, right before his death. Uh, maybe you remember the story. It's, it's them in the upper room, and no one washed Jesus' feet when they got there. So what does he do as like master, shepherd, and servant? If, if you read this, this is important in John 13, it says, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying with them towel wrapped around his waist. So the picture here is, is him taking off his outer clothing, right? This represents his authority as the Son of God. And he literally takes it off as a very clear picture and sets it down and grabs a servant's towel, and washes the feet of the men who not only should be washing his feet, but should have been washing his feet before this time. And as they walked into that room, it was customary. But no one served Jesus. So he got up from the table and served them. Uh, we see that in his life. That, that, that one story is one of uh, a thousand throughout the, the New Testament and throughout the Gospels of Jesus serving at his own expense those around him. His cousin dies, and he's trying to mourn a little bit. And people are knocking on the door saying, hey, we need you. Can you do this for us? And he gets up, and he goes, and he loves on people. We see this in his birth, his life. We see this in his death in Matthew 26. And I love this story. Um, Jesus laying down his life for us on the cross. And if, I'll just read a little bit of Matthew 26, 50 through 54. If you want to write that down and look at it later. It says, then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus in the garden and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions and... Uh, John tells us it's Simon Peter, reached for a sword, drew out a sword, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear, defending Jesus, because Jesus is going to be king, and I've got to protect his rule on earth, and and Peter's just missing it. Jesus goes on, and he picks the the chunk of ear, Uh, we don't know how much, right, and he picks up the ear off the ground and slaps it back on this guy's face, his enemy's face or head. And the guy can hear again. He's like completely healed. And he, he puts Peter in his place and says, put away your sword. Like this is not your time to defend me because I literally came to this earth to lay down my life for you. And you're going to stop that? You're, you're going to cut off his ear and defend me? We know just a few verses earlier that all the disciples had were, were two swords. What are they going to do with two swords? Jesus goes on and he basically puts him even more in his place. And he says, do you think, in verse 53, I cannot call on my father and he will at once, won't just think about it, I'm not just powerful enough to like start a meeting in heaven where hopefully they remember that I'm the son, like, like the boss's son, right? It's like, it's not about starting a meeting. It's about, I will call on my father and at once 
he will send at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. A legion is between five and 6,000. He's going to send 12 of those at my disposal the very second I call upon him. But, uh, but how then would the scripture be fulfilled that said it must happen this way? Jesus is going, Peter, you're missing it. You're seeing the, you're seeing the power, but you're not recognizing the small Often like we see the small, all baby Jesus, and we miss the all, A-W-E, like awesome. Peter saw the A-W-E, and I want you to be my king, and Jesus is going, but you're missing the first step. The reason I came first was to lay down my life. And so Jesus does this in his life, in his birth, in his life, and in his death, and it's clear Peter despised the small gift, right? It's like Jesus is sitting there wrapped in a small box, and he's demanding that Jesus be a massive box. And Jesus is going, I'm a fluffy reindeer steering wheel cover right now. I need to get there. Right now, I'm a Bluetooth speaker, and you've got to value the fact that, that there's something going on here in, in this small, humble, uh, allowing myself to be killed kind of thing that, that you're totally missing. And if, if you just give me a second, Peter, I think Jesus would say, but he didn't. If you give me a second, you're going to see me be a small, humble, lowly servant. And you're going to see me brutally killed and murdered. And this is how we look at the manger and we go, Jesus was born to die for me. Dot, dot, dot. And then the, the story continues because there's power in, in this small package. We see Peter despise a small gift. Uh, a theologian named Matthew Henry said this, If there had been ten times as many soldiers... They could not have taken him had he not yielded to them. Jesus yielded to them. When a butcher goes into the field and takes a lamb for the slaughter, he says, does he raise a militia and come armed? I love that. No, he needs not. Why? A sheep doesn't know any better. A sheep has complete trust, not in the people in this case, in Jesus' case, doing the butchering, but in his Father in heaven who created the plan from the beginning. And Jesus knows why he came the first time, and that was to die. But that's not the end of the, of the story. Uh, John 10, if you remember, there's a, so that. I lay my life down in order that, because the first time equals our forgiveness. The, the first coming, the first advent, the first Christmas equals our forgiveness, because he lives a perfect life that you can't live, that I can't live. As, as good as we try, and, and there's no good person, meaning our intentions only get us so far and we fail, and then we re-sign up and recommit, and our intentions get us so far, and we fail. There, there's no perfect sacrifice for our sin. When we repent, man, we, and we bring a lamb back in the day. They bring a lamb, and, and you, have, you have one year's sin forgiven. And then what do you do? You start it all over again. Jesus living a perfect life and dying a perfect death, the spotless lamb of God, he dies on the cross after living that perfect life and gives his life up for us his first advent leads to our forgiveness. He is first our sacrifice. Peter demanded that he be a savior, but the savior peace was coming. Uh, if you remember in John 10, it says this, and the Greek word for only two is henna. So I'll read the verse 17 one more time. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only two, the Greek word henna. I lay down my life so that is what henna means. I can take it up again. So Jesus is working a plan. And whenever we see his first and his second coming, or his first and his second coming separately, we miss it. We miss the power of the second coming because of the sacrifice he was first. And we miss the sacrifice that he was first because of the power that he's got wrapped up inside of him uh, based on a promise that we all have as, as believers. There are 1,500 plus references to his second coming. 
And there's about a six-to-one comparison. For every six second-coming references, there's only one first-coming reference. The second coming of Jesus is mentioned, and you could say prioritized way more than the first coming of Christ. But he had to be our sacrifice first, but to see him just as a sacrifice. And we, we, des- we despise and look down on a small gift, and we don't realize how much power is packed in it. Uh, so we, we hear John the Baptist whenever... In John 1, 29, he says this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John the Baptist talking about Jesus' first coming. Look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And we cannot read that without reading John the Revelator. What he says about Jesus' second coming in John 10, excuse me, Revelation 1, 7 and 8, it says, Look, same John, same word, look. He is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Verse 8, I am the Omega, Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so we see these very different sides of Jesus, this super paradoxical uh, expression of, of who he is and who he is to us. And we cannot have one without the other. And if you're honest, if I'm honest, I look at a manger and the first thing I see is the main thing that I understand. It's, it's what I gravitate toward to, and that's the baby Jesus. And he's a baby, and he's small. And he will have all the things that babies have, and he will do all the things that babies do, and he will grow up like a normal human being, and he will show us how to be humble, and he will live a life that models that for us, and then he will die. But the whole time, you know what he's thinking in his mind? I'm the son of God, but I'm laying it down. I've got the robe of authority, but I'm, I'm taking it off. I deserve this, but, I, but I'm, I'm not here to do that right now. To be put in awe of the power that's wrapped up in this baby Jesus, and not even a baby, because Jesus was eight years old, and Jesus was 13 years old, right? And, and I hate to be his brother or sister. That's a, that's a really hard comparison to live up to. But he grew up like normal people grew up. And all the while, the power of God was inside of him, ready to be activated. And, and whether that happened at his baptism or, or whatever, we know that Jesus was in the, in the synagogue, sitting and listening and talking, and I don't know what age he had that click in his brain. Maybe he's like a fetus and he's thinking, I'm God. It's like, I don't know. I don't know when that'd be really strange. But you can imagine 33 years of suppressing the fact that you are God and don't treat me like that because I'm your creator. And don't talk about me like that because I'm the one that put those ideas in your brain. But yet they despised him and he took it to be a sacrifice for us. And all, all the while, he's, he's this human being, fully human, fully God. But when we forget the fully God thing, the fully human thing isn't as impressive. It means a lot because it saves us, but it's not as impressive. Um, maybe you've heard the, the Michael English song, Mary, Did You Know? Have you, you just heard that? There's, it's kind of coming back like all things do. And there's uh, Meredith Andrews is a new artist that's, that's, that's writing or re-recording this song. And you might even hear it in just a few minutes. Uh, but I think about the words of that song and it says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would someday walk on water, uh, that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters. He would come to make you new, Mary. This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. This baby boy is the Lord of all creation. He will one day rule the nations. He's heaven's perfect lamb. The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. And if I had Michael English's cell phone number, I would call him and I would say, yes. Yes, she knew that. Like, Yes. 
Why are we all, like, no one answers that song. Like, it's a constant question. I'm thinking, yes, like, I just want, I'm bidding you in your place, and the song is sung here on the radio. I want to call in. It's like, yes, she knew that. Like, she did. Here's what she was told in Luke chapter 1. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So she sighs a deep breath, deep breath of relief, right? You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, Yeshua. He will be great. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. It does not get much bigger than that. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And, and maybe still she's thinking earthly reign, but either way she's thinking ruler and king. Verse 33, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. Even then she may not be thinking eternity, but she's at least thinking as long as I can think. It'll never, ever, ever end. She knows he's going to be powerful Maybe she doesn't understand that the miraculous works, but I guarantee you after hearing that and seeing one blind man uh, healed, she's going, whoa, that's kind of what I expected. It's like, what else do you expect when you're the most son of the most high God? And so Michael, Mary may not have known the very first time, right? But quit, quit singing the song after like the first thing because yes, yeah, she knew. <laughs> she knew. She saw before she even saw the baby, she saw in her mind the greatness of the Son of God. And then she would know firsthand, delivering him and burping him and everything else that babies need, right? And what, where's the last place we see Mary? At the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross. She sat there at the foot of the cross, unlike Peter, and she got it. She knew that there would be a second coming based on what he would then say on earth. He would say, I'm coming back. I'm going to go build a house for you, which is customary for like weddings, right? Like I'm going to go leave and I'm going to go hammer some wood and build a structure and I'm going to come back and you're going to be my, my wife, right? And so maybe that, that, that imagery was a little confusing, but, but we know, and, and he mentioned a lot about his own second coming. That's where we see it most. And so Mary, she saw the smallness, the humility of Christ to, to the point of his death. But we see her with hope in comparison to Peter, knowing that he would come again. And maybe she doesn't know what it's going to look like. Maybe we are uh, more informed than they were back then for sure, because we have the book of Revelations. We have uh, the, the canon of Scripture. We have the study. We, we, we are more prepared for a second coming, but, but we even miss it. And so when we look in a manger, are we, do we say, oh, how cute and how loving and how sacrificial? Or is it more like A-W-E? Like, yeah, he's small, and he's sacrificial, and he's loving, and he's, he lays down his life, but he does so in order that he will take up his life again. The hope that we have in his second coming is where peace on earth comes from, like you heard about. That's the hope that we have. Other than that, even if we're saved, even if you're forgiven of your sin, even if I'm forgiven of mine, then, then this life might be a little more, might be smoother. Because there are natural consequences that are just good. There are blessings and just natural things that happen when we obey God, right? How many of you guys can attest to that? You've given your life as best you can to following Scripture, and you see the natural results of that in your relationships, in your career, in your personal health, in your marriage, in your parenting. There are natural positive blessings that happen when we obey Christ and we say, I'll take your sacrifice for my sin. Thanks for cleaning me up and filling me with your Holy Spirit, allowing me to obey you, empowering me to obey you. That's great. But if Christ isn't raised from the dead, and if he's not promised to return, then we live a good 80 here. We die, and then there's nothing that continues. 
the thing that ought to blow our mind is the 80 here in the context when we zoom out a little bit and we realize he laid down his life only to in order that, henna, that he would take it up again and that we live 80 here in full obedience to Christ, not just by, just by saying this life's going to be better than, than otherwise without him, but this life's going to be better, but that's not even what it's about compared to eternity in heaven. That's the hope I have. I'm not sure your joy can be as deep without a, a, a confidence in the second coming of Christ. I'm not sure our, 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 uh, our commitment to integrity can be as deep without a, without a confidence in, the, in the, the promise of his second coming, his second advent. But when we see them together during Christmas, and when we look at a manger, we realize he first came as a cute helpless, as he, as he grew up, a, a sacrificial and a humble, a meek sacrifice. And being the son of God, he would take his life up so that he could be a powerful, just, authoritative savior. We say that we're saved. Look, we have a promise in our future salvation. That's what it means. We are saved from the power of sin here. Praise God for that. But if that's all we have, that's good, but that's not enough. And God knowing that, creating this whole thing, he's smarter than you, he's smarter than me. Him knowing that, him being who he is, he also not only saves us from our sin, but he saves us from this world. And when we see those separately, I think we miss it. I got a text from a friend yesterday, and we have a picture for this. And uh, at the top, it's kind of cut off. Basically, it's a friend of mine saying that uh, he... Uh, heads up this organization that took, I don't know how many he said, it's, it's cut off how many kids, a couple hundred, 300 kids to target. Uh, it's, a, it's a low um, the demographic of the kids, and, and, and they, they, they literally will not get more than maybe a present from families, and it's, a, it's an after-school program, and they've got this massive database of all these kids that literally come every single day after school, and they do summer projects, and once a year at Christmas, they promote this, and kids show up, and they bust them to Target, and they spend about 15 grand, um, and so we're, we're texting back of this, and I'm impressed. I'm, I'm saying, praise God, and, and I, I said, I bet it was pretty crazy, and he says, very crazy, uh, and I said, that's cool, and he said, all in the mighty babe of Jesus, which sounds a little weird, right, and I went, as I read that, I was like, this guy's, he's kind of cool. He's kind of hip. I'm going, it's a little cheesy, if I'm honest, like for him. Some of you would say it, you'd get away with it. It's fine. Uh, he's just in, in the mighty babe of Jesus. I'm going, it's accurate, I guess, but it's just a little weird. And I kept reading. He says, ha ha, not babe. I mean, name. But since it's Christmas, babe works, LOL. I said, ha ha, that's true. That's how I text. Maybe we'll text one day and you'll find out. But, but here's, here's the deal is it does fit. It does fit in the mighty babe. Like those words don't go together. It's, it's, it's paradoxical only in Christ. It's ironic with us. If you were called a mighty babe, that's just funny and ironic because it's a joke. But in Christ, he's fully God, fully man. That's, that's just paradoxical, meaning you got two very opposing ideas wrapped up in one shell, and they both, though they conflict, are absolutely appropriate. And separate, we miss something. So here's a question. So, so what, is that, what does that mean for us? I think that's what John meant. I think, I think that's how this, this passage of laying down his life and taking it back up again, I think that's what it means to us during Christmas. I think it's most important to see his first advent, his first coming, when we zoom out and we see it in the context of his second coming. That's powerful. 
So the question is, so what? I think this does a few things for us. I think the first thing this does for me, and I think for, for us who, who believe and follow Jesus, I think the first thing it does is it does put us in awe of the manger scene. I think it puts us in awe of the manger to know that Jesus, while being his sacrificial self, knowing he had the power to be his future savior self, continued to live a life of sacrifice. I think it, I think it blows um, up this typical baby Jesus mindset that, that maybe you've got or maybe you slip into because Christ is more than that. Christmas is more than that. The second thing I think it does is it highlights his love for us. To think about his power and to suppress his power, to not consider himself worthy of that for 33 years, to live a life and to die a perfect death for me. That shows me that he loves me. He was working a plan, and Peter tried to interrupt the plan to save Jesus. Jesus doesn't need saving. He's in complete control, and he has complete trust of his heavenly Father, and that is to lay down his life no matter what it cost him, and it cost him everything, to be a sacrifice for me. That he would suppress those things, and the purpose was you, to, to, to bring his people back to himself. And the only way to do that is to get rid of sin, the power of sin. And then in his second coming, he gets rid of the penalty of sin. It's like, now I can live free from sin. Do I sin? Sure, I sin. Little s. But the power of sin, capital S, as a force in my life, is no longer an internal as much as, as it is an external force. And, and we deal with it. We struggle with it until we die. But sin is not the ruler. The, the Spirit of God is now the ruler. And then in his second coming, we're promised that from, to, to be free from the, the penalty of sin. Because the penalty of sin is death. And so we take his death. Praise God for that. Like that's all it means to be saved is you're going, I recognize that the penalty of sin is death and I'll take his. And here's what that means, that I've got to read the Bible now and do what it says. And in doing that, he gives me a heart after his own and he gives me a passion for, for truth and he makes me want to please him. And praise God beyond this life, because that, be, that would be enough, by the way. Hope for this life, that would be enough to follow him. He's worthy of that. You understand that? He's worthy of that because he's God. And in his, his great love for us, he promises us a future salvation that is not just the, 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 the uh, penalty of sin or the power of sin, but the, the penalty or the result of sin. Last thing I think this does for us and for me is it models humility. This is super practical. This is take this home, put, it, put this in your pocket, and live this out. Maybe you're a dad. And maybe you have the power to ground your kid. You've got the power to, to and grounding and, and, you know, spanking. Maybe we'll do a seminar. I'm not sure what your, where your lines are here about how to discipline. Not trying to go there. But, but you have the power to do what you want to do. You have the power to treat your, your child the way you want to treat them. Humility means this and meekness means this. To pause and to stop and to think, I'm the most powerful person in the room. Besides the wife. I'm the most powerful person in the room. So what is the most powerful person in the room? He gets up out of the table. He takes off his outer clothing that represents his authority. He lays it down for the good of those around him. So dads, what does that look like for you? To, to be humble, to know your, the power. Oh, the things I could do to you, right? The things that I could do. The authority that I do have. And I could abuse it. Or I, I could just, even with decent intentions, I could fight for what I want. Or I could realize, okay, what I want is fine. It's not bad, but it's not best for those around me. Where in your life do you lay aside what you deserve 
in order to serve people, just speaking really practically. This blows up our idea of Christmas, and that's great, and I think we should take that home and chew on that. But something we can put in our pocket right now is this idea of following the example of Jesus, to be humble, to be meek, to think in our mind, here's what I'm capable of, and here's what I think is best for you. And sometimes those are different. And to be willing to do that takes a strength beyond us sometimes. Let me end with this, and then the band's going to play one more song. In Matthew 2, uh, we're told about the, the magi, right, the wise men. Uh, I love this uh, because they, here in Matthew 2, the first couple of verses, they pick the small gift, okay? They pick the small gift. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the king of Herod, magi uh, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born as a baby? king of the Jews. We saw his star, and when it rose, we came to worship him. So here's what this means to us, that we would treat Jesus like he deserves to be treated, that we would see that he was a baby, but treat him like a king, and come to him as a baby. And the fact that he lays down his life is what makes God approachable to us, right? And so we approach him as a baby, as a sacrifice, but we treat him like a savior, and they would see a star, and they would be wise men, and they would be wealthy men, and they brought, they brought very expensive gifts to a baby? Like, you bring like a rattler. And sometimes we look at a manger, and we go, oh, man, look how sacrificial and humble he was. That's cute. And we drive on to look at all the other lights. And so my prayer, and that's, that's not bad, is that we would look at a manger, and we'd go, the power wrapped up in that baby he, he's not just a sacrifice right there. He is, he's, he's got Savior all inside of him, but he's choosing to act like a sacrifice. So like the wise men, like the magi, that we would pick the small gift and realize the power wrapped up inside of it. And we would not just praise God for our, 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 our forgiveness, but we'd praise him for the, the promise of world peace and for, for life uh, in heaven with him forever, free from Man, how, how cruddy life can be sometimes, but praise him for how he does bless us and promise us not just freedom from issues and things and, and not even just sin, but from this world. He's a powerful God, and he came as a baby. So it is all in the, the, the mighty babe of Jesus. So like the Magi, let's pick the small gift. Um, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing this song, Mary, Did You Know? And so don't, don't shout yes, okay? We're all but... But let this kind of simmer as, as we sing this. Let's pray. Father God, we...